Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Fulcrum Point podcast. I'm Dylan Dagenet. For those who are new to the world of Fulcrum Point, we are a Chicago-based nonprofit dedicated to the advancement of diverse new music. For this podcast, I recorded another installment of the Discovery series, which gives composers a platform to showcase new works and gives the audience a chance to ask questions and reflect on the piece. This installment of the series also took place in Chicago's Fine Arts Building, this time in William Harris Lee String Atelier, where if you walk literally 10 feet from the performance room, you will see dedicated craftsmen building violins from scratch. This night was co-hosted by Falcon Point's artistic director, Stephen Burns, and curator of discoveries, Sean Opeblo. I am particularly excited to share with you this installment of Discoveries, being a former percussionist. As both pieces of the night were composed for a solo percussionist and were both performed by the incredible John Corkill. For this event, he took on Seungwon Oh's volatile and breathtaking Circle and Kyung Mi Choi's luminous and powerful Flower Lips. If composer Seungwon Oh sounds distant in the recording, it's because she was Skyping into the event from Korea to give her thoughts on this one-of-a-kind piece. At the event, Circle was filmed for Facebook Live, and trust me, this is one you'll want to see John Corkill play. When you hear the gong's pitches dip and distort, he's actually dipping them into a bowl of water. It is truly a piece to watch as well as listen to, so go check it out on facebook.com slash And stick around to the end to hear an exclusive interview I had with Kyung Mi Choi who I can safely say is one of the most interesting people I've ever met. Enjoy the event. So welcome everyone. Um, it is, great, it is a, an honor and a pleasure to um, be back here at William H. Lee, uh, William Harris Lee Atelier. Um, we have two incredible pieces today. John Corkle is a, a phenomenal percussion um, virtuoso who will be uh, at the front and center of what we're doing today. My colleague here is Sean Rapello. My name is Stephen Burns. I'm the Artistic Director. I, have, I hope I've met just about all of you. Um, so we're going to start today's program with uh, Sangha O's Circle um, because she has a, an appointment in uh, half an hour. And um, she's, she's saying uh, good morning and having her morning coffee because she's in Korea. So just waking up now. <laughs> uh, we do have scores if anyone is curious. If you like to look at scores while you while you uh, listen, and if you don't like to look at scores, you don't have to look at scores. If you can share, it's always nice. Sharing is caring, as the man in the front of the Fine Arts Village often says. Does it? Does say that? Okay. Um, and you know, we we purposefully did not put program notes into the program so that you hear the music fresh and and your impressions um, can be can be your own and, and not be filtered through the composer's concept. And then we'll hear more about the concept and you guys can have a conversation with the composers and with John Corkle. So please welcome John Corkle to the stage. Thank <laughs> you. 
It just uh, really motto that I wanted to start with. Um, at the beginning, I did have some ritualistic um, you know, scene that I had in mind. I was thinking about this uh, player actually walking towards the stage with a little um, wood block in her hand. So ta -da -da, ta -da -da, which is something that I had it stuck in my head, and then I just had to start with it. And it's simple enough that it could be developed in so many different ways. Yeah, I don't think I'm giving you a perfect answer to okay. your <laughs> So where, did, where, does the, where does the idea of circle come in? Um, so I had ideas about this type of sound, metal sound, wood sound, skin, and so on. Um, I did want to write something of a piece which is almost like a, a spiral. So all, there is an event episode which is linked by the introduction of new sounds every time. And each sound that I wanted to, instead of elaborating more complicated rhythm, I just wanted to simply give time for players to just go for one sound, getting louder and softer over a long period of time. So that becomes sort of the link between each episode. So it seems to circle through that kind of a cycle of episode sound introduction of long crescendo to crescendo another sound on the episode. So that's why I was thinking about spirals or maybe a circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe um, people in the audience had some ideas or feelings about um, how the how the piece you know impacted you. Yeah, sir. I actually had a question. Um, so the part that I really liked and kind of was the circle to me maybe was the progression of the gongs at first laying on the tables to slowly evolving to becoming on the rack. And I was just curious, because that for me was one of the most fulfilling parts of the piece. It was like very wholesome, I guess, to see them eventually go up there and then serve a purpose going from the table to on the rack mm -hmm. as a melody. Um, what kind of inspired that use of the gongs? Yeah. So normally, of course, we have. Uh, if you imagine the tie bones, always hanging, and then you know, instead of make, uh, using that gong as more rhythmic instrument, it is more like control instrument, just uh, articulating certain pitch, very slow uh, resonance. Um, so the whole purpose is that I want to find different ways to use exactly the same instrument in different contexts. So what I wanted, my goal was using the gong as uh, as designed as a singing gong, very slow melody. So to do that, I wanted to reserve or save those sounds until the end, so I could find different ways to start the piece. So that's how it came about. Almost sounded like a muted sound, <laughs> of music, which by then I didn't even know about game of music in 2004. So <laughs> it just came out that way. That was a very pro thing to do. I'm going to steal that idea. Well, you know, and I, I like the fact that you that you mentioned ritual because every time I see a percussion concert, first of all, percussion music is like the ultimate abstract music. There's very few pitches, but they, were the pitches defined in the woodblocks, John? Pitches weren't defined, but they were supposed to be graduated from low to high. And, and how did you choose your low to highs? What uh, you had at home? Sir, it was basically funny. Yeah, so when I first learned this, I kind of had just started off in the city, didn't have many resources, so it was just whatever I could find. But as time has gone along, I tried to find like a wider range of, of woodblocks. And then you notice like I do a roll on the really hard high Japanese woodblock. I definitely do that because there's a lot more wood underneath, and if I were to do that on a thinner block, it would just crack. So some of it's like thought to that point, and then also the way it's spaced too, to make it, if they're all mushed together, then it creates this different kind of uh, 
the way I choreograph, the way I move, makes it harder in terms of efficiency of movement. I do have a question since we're talking about you a little bit. Um, the performer. Uh, in your music, you give very little information in terms of um, expressive uh, ideas, you know, directives. Um, um, you leave out rest. And I think it's intentional because it's, it's consistent. As a performer, um, um, have, you know, what, did you like that? Or, um, yeah. Because it was very musical. It was a very musical piece. But you weren't giving much. You were giving notes. Yeah. And then, and then, and then measures without rest. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that I learned about Sangwash has a lot of uh, kind of theatrical work. And a lot of the body of what I did when I was in grad school was learning about kind of percussionist and kind of yourself against the instruments and the narrative you can create right. with that. And so having empty rests or having someone be like, yes, you have learned the notation of my piece to the best of most people's ability. Um, so if you want to do that, you can totally do that. And kind of having this working relationship where some, some composers uh, are wonderful people, but can be a little bit tyrants when they write. And right. like, exactly right here on the fifth partial, right. using this pitch at mezzo forte. That was definitely not mezzo forte. You know? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's other people that are completely, give very open instructions, and I think uh, can achieve a similar effect when you think of like Cajun Belez, like this idea of things going back and forth. Um, one of the cool things is seeing composers try to mix the two together. And one of the persons who was a big influence to me was Mauricio Coggle, who um, was really influenced by the, the modernists and uh, also by Cage when he came over to Paris and like this idea of you know, things kind of happening and creating almost a narrative within itself. Right. And so that's, I don't know. Yeah, good. I'm sure that was not thought of in the piece, but it was something that I could grasp at, too. Anybody? Yeah, sorry, I'm glad. Oh. Uh, yeah, well, I thought this was a, a great piece and a great performance. And um, it felt like when you were performing that you really had made this your own, you know? Um, and and uh, the, the flow was just so natural. Um, how long did you spend preparing this? So I learned this piece back in 2013. I think someone had just started a little bit at DePaul. I was like, asked a bunch of my friends to play it, and they didn't want to do it. <laughs> and she's like, I heard that maybe you could play my piece. And I was like, so um, I didn't have a project to work on. Um, I was kind of tired of learning you know, uh, your Zanakis or your um, Stockhausen just simply because it was most of what you'd get, at least when I was in school, was uh, white male composers. And this was something I hadn't delved into. And um, it was just getting to meet someone new who understood that world of writing. And like, you know, um, so that's how I got started with the piece. It was like a project. Um, it was for like a gig. That's all it was. And then she's like, hey, you do this pretty well. Why don't you? do a recording for me. I was like, okay, cool. And then like three years passed and I kept saying, oh, I need to figure out something to do. And recently there was another concert at the hall and someone was like, can you play this again? I was like, I've been finding a reason to do it. Um, so this was just like fun. And then I've been kind of just like, why don't I program it here? Who wants to do it here? Who wants to do it here? Because it's a fun piece and you get to live it. And I've lived it for like, five years, you know? So it's like, and I've seen the way I approached it in 2013, and the way I approached it in 2017 and 18 is with a very different lens. It's like reading an old children's book, you know, and like picking up on things that you never thought you knew, you know, you're like, or, you know, movies or something. 
Can you talk a little bit more about those differences between when you first played this and now, and what's what's easier, what's harder? Um, well, when I first started playing this piece, I had just gotten out of school and I was very into like kept play everything exactly what's on the page. Like that's the world I lived in. It wasn't. You know, it, I always say, I started off as an undergrad, I learned how to be a percussionist, I went to grad school, I learned how to be a musician, I moved to the real world, I learned how to be an artist. And so, what's really important about that is, uh, recently I got to work with a really phenomenal percussionist, Matthew DeBall from Eighth Blackbird, who basically takes pieces and turns them upside down in their head, and says, well, why do you have to do it that way? And he's made a lot of people angry, but he's also won a lot of Grammys doing it. So um, I was like, okay, this is really interesting. So the way I kind of approached the piece this time was, well, I learned it this way, and I learned it very thoroughly. What if I kind of took different elements of this piece and kind of messed around with it? Um, it one cool thing about new music that you don't uh, that you don't get is this idea of performance practice, because when it's new, there hasn't been a hundred people that played it over and over again. So there's less fear to try something different and have people go, well, you're not supposed to do it that way because blah, 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 has always done it that way and they're the master of that. You know? And it's like kind of annoying because like you get really, I mean, performance practice is an incredible tool because it gets us, it's progress. It helps us move and it helps develop a piece and make it a part of the repertoire. But sometimes it can be stifling at a point where we've like polished the vase so many times that it's like, well, what about something new or someone in a city that I live in? I would have never looked at someone's music until she approached me just because of my own ignorance. And like, it has opened my eyes to kind of like figuring out different ways of, of approaching pieces and kind of working with the composer and being like, what if we did it that way? Like, not everything on the page has to be a way it is. It has to be well thought out. I don't know. So, so let's, let's uh, throw it back to somewhat. Yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with us with, about the piece? Mm, I would like to say that uh, what I really appreciate with working with John is that, um, as he just mentioned, uh, I have a tendency to write a piece with maybe pretty good details of map, but the map that it gives you the beginning, ending, you know, the, the way to you go through to the end. And I want to give you pretty good uh, information about how to get to the end of the piece, but not necessarily. I want. I don't want to give all the details because um, the piece that I cannot travel with <laughs> many all the time. And I think the piece has its own life, and then that is being more uh, with the professionals like John, who actually take it as his own music and putting his uh, the spirit and the way that he understands his music into. He's using his own version of a circle, which is actually very phenomenal experience for me. And every single time he plays, every time slightly different from each other with its own uh, takes to it. So that's what I really like about working with uh, John. And um, I wanted to just thank him for making this piece so uh, with uh, this maturity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we hope you have a good day. <laughs> have a good, have a good breakfast. And uh, thank you for joining us. It's been a real pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye. 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 If you enjoyed John Corkill's performance of Circle, head to our Facebook, facebook.com/slash Point, 
and watch the Facebook live-streamed recording of it. Trust me, this really is one you'll want to see. Also, if you haven't listened to it, be sure to check out episode 1 of the podcast, as I think the comparisons between Seung Wan Oh's piece and Frank Narot's The Spiral make for a really fascinating listening experience. Next, John moved from his big percussion setup to a vibraphone on the other side of the stage for Kyung Mi Choi's Flower Lips. For those unfamiliar with the instrument, a vibraphone is similar to a xylophone in playing in construction and has a pedal that can dampen the sound or let it resonate and ring out in a really spellbinding way. The final pitch of the piece, which you will hear referred to in the conversation, is played on the F natural of the vibraphone with a bow and let ring. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Uh, one of the things that um, we really like to do is, is, first of all, thank Bill and, and Eli Lee in terms of our, our hosts here um, at uh, William Harris Lee String Atelier and this gorgeous view of somebody's big yeah. <laughs> um, but also, it's, it's such a great to be, to be surrounded only by these beautiful instruments and art and um, it's a real pleasure. Also, the snacks we're having are donated by um, our, freighter, our friend uh, Trader Joe. <laughs> you know, every little bit helps. When it comes to uh, creating a nonprofit organization and, and putting together concerts, you know, every little bit, if you don't have to spend $150 on snacks or, you know, $500 on alcohol, you know, it's, it adds up over time. So we really thank both Bill and, and Joe. Yeah. And, uh, traitor. <laughs> <laughs> and also all of our, our, our board members are here, Ian, uh, Ian McCutcheon is here, uh, Nick Wilcup, our president of the board, um, sends his regrets, he's been to almost every single one of these discoveries because this is where you get to discover the composer's kind of inspiration and insight, and we get to discover what you think about the music and what you feel, and whether that, that is, you know, what our intention as artists hits home and gets gets across the, the footlights, so to speak. That, you know, so we wanted to, we really appreciate hearing from you as well. Um, so, with no further ado.
Fabulous. Opportunity, there was actually vibraphone. Oh. So I was actually able to play around a little bit here and there. But the idea was um, just flower kind of falling in mm. around the pond, and then with this kind of similar gesture, but not exactly the same. And then also I wanted to exaggerate different kind of falling because about breeze, you know, or sometimes a little light air or so that it actually moves differently. So also I wanted to differentiate color because then lighting can also change the effect of it. And then at the end, it, the color of flower kind of dissolved uh, up in the water so that it kind of yields the, its own nature. That was the whole uh, sort of the dialogue that I wanted to portray. I don't know whether you kind of uh, relate to that scene or not, but that was my uh, whole intention of it. And then, when I worked with John, I like, you know, as someone's case, he was also very uh, open to uh, alter things, you know, so we had a little discussion, and we're going to actually meet tomorrow to go even more further. <laughs> so that uh, I think the idea about this piece is really about my image of the just flower uh, falling naturally to the pond, and in different time, like, in different... Um, so I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I have about a thousand questions, yeah. but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask uh, a couple. Um, now have the audience ask them. Um, what I'm most intrigued—well, I'm intrigued by a lot of things, but about this piece—but you were very specific. It's <laughs> the opposite. Dynamics, the rhythm. I mean, um, even the tempo markings, the directors. You have quarter equals thirty. At one point, you have a, you know eighth note equals sixty. But you have, but with that, you have sixty fourth notes. You know. Um, so I guess for both y'all, how do you navigate? I mean, why did you do that? And then as a performer, and does that are, does that make you want to like play it perfectly? Because it's so specific. There's a room for musicianship. You go first. So um, I am not dictating things per se, like uh, what he was referring to. That's not my intention. But I also believe a certain specifics in my head. Uh, that I want to get closer mm -hmm. and then what I like to experience with performer is to see how much he can go mm -hmm. and then the result of it right. so that it is more about directing a little closer mm -hmm. but not like a counting or like right. a track but so that this person can actually push through that angle right. to release something that maybe I need. So my, my students um, 
I hate when they use mezzo fortes or mezzo pianos. I think it's a cop-out. Uh, uh, they can use it if, if in the context of a larger piece, but they start a piece with mezzo forte. Like, what, what does that mean? You know, what does mezzo piano mean? So I love um, how you use the extreme dynamics because, uh, to me, what you're saying is, you know, triple piano and one piano, they could be perceived the same thing, but what you really mean is, no, I really want it soft. So whatever you, whatever you have to do to make the thing soft, I want it soft. <laughs> or if I have triple forte, I'm not joking, I really want it really loud. So, uh, and, and you have these crescendos, and, and so I really appreciate that. You can also say that with your, with your um, e e even rhythm, like, you know, staccato from a, on a 30 second note. What you're saying is, no, play as short as possible. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know what you have to do, so. Um, you want to expand upon that? Um, yeah, I mean, when you look at the piece, you think you, um, I think, especially with like, people who start off learning Western classical music, uh, get really into the sense of, we teach you meter, we teach you math, it all fits into this beautiful little grid, right? Um, as you get older, rules start to get broken, and you start, again, this idea of like, thinking more like an artist, like, um, it's very specific, but it's like, to me, it reminds me of like paint splatters, or it's very gestural. Um, and really, at the end of the day, like, trying to capture that gesture to the best of your ability is what's going on, but um, I think what it's designed to do is to put parameters on it, very specific parameters, um, because you could run the problem where someone learns this piece and they don't actually learn it, um, and then, you know, for me, like it can be really difficult when a composer is super detailed with things because it's like, whoa. But if they're that detailed, it means they care about their piece that much that I should probably care about their piece that much. Um, not to say that a composer who doesn't do that, I shouldn't care about their piece, but sometimes people look at it like, oh my gosh, there's way too much on the page. And for me, it's like, this person is just really had an idea and this was their thing. And then when you meet Kyung you understand, and you're also a painter and an organist and all these things. I mean, you're a renaissance woman. <laughs> you know, and you understand how art correlates and things and sound is not, um, it's not this grid. It's a, you know, it's a work of art. It's like a, a magical paint by numbers. Like, you know. So how do you know when the, the dot on the note says to be really short? Uh -huh. or light short or bouncy short. And uh -huh. how does that, you know, so because it's like they're... That is a great question. Um, a lot of that is dictated to me. Well, part of it is like how I want it to sound. The second part of it is like when it goes that fast, I just have to do something. Like to try and take, like, <laughs> you know, like when it says a staccato note, I could try to do the dead stroke, all the dead strokes. And sometimes people write in dead strokes. She didn't do that, but I... Did that, but there's other moments where it's like staccato notes, and I was like, no, the pedal's just gonna be up right here, I'm not gonna do a dead stroke. But I would play around with it and see like what I could get. It's kind of like taking like different shades of blue and figuring out what your favorite shade of blue right. is. I mean, and then it's also, manic, And then also, when you see really clearly um, when flower actually falls, there is different pattern actually. And, and I just wanted to make it clear that these patterns are, if you see far away, they're the same kind of pattern. But if you see kind of closer, they're really distinctively different um, motion. So I wanted to uh, sort of guide through that differentiation needs to happen somehow. But if I just kind of leave it open, then I think it might end up kind of in a similar pattern. But if I make an effort to differentiate enough, then there will be some differences that we can only detect. So you know, that was another.
purpose of it. This piece is incredibly weird to learn and then listen to a recording of someone else playing <laughs> it. What you're thinking and the way it sounds are just right. totally in my opinion. Like when you're in the moment, you're like, you know, I'm familiar with a number of your uh, lecture acoustic works, and some of them are quite amazing. Um, and I was, for some odd reason, I was living misconception there was going to be electronics involved with this piece. Because we uh, we have miscommunication. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's your fault. There may be electronics in this piece. You've got to figure that one out. This is where, you know, being the artistic director, you just, you know, all it. <laughs> well, so in, in any case, what I found really interesting about this particular piece was, especially towards the end, when it was loud and fast and the sustain pedal was on, I heard a lot of different tones. Mm -hmm. Was that intended or is that just part of the fall of this piece? Because when you take in those different tones as part of the piece along with it, you hear things a lot different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, in my understanding, <coughs> the, uh, di the dynamic of the shape of the piece, even though it's a subtle motion about the you know, flower falling, mm -hmm. I wanted, as I said earlier, I wanted to exaggerate, right? Mm -hmm. And then also I wanted to make a piece of <coughs> some type of arrival point. Mm -hmm. And I found that particular section we're talking about is a great way to kind of force through Mm -hmm. And then that's the best way to accumulate the tone color. Mm -hmm. And that's how I want uh, to. Plus, every single vibraphone will vibrate differently. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. You know, so the pattern of the of the of the rotor and the pattern of the tubes and the pattern of of, of the you know electrical part. So but certainly, certainly. I mean, I mean, you know, it's not not an expensive anomaly. I was, but then I was struck by that as well. It was like this. this mm -hmm. But also, you know, the color before, um, the, the idea we're using an instrument um, that can be one color. I mean, if you, if you, if you, want, if you just think about it generally. Totally. Like, so, totally. so, 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 so how can I create a piece? Um, um, how can I create, make color out of this piece? You know, and, and, um, and you, you know, you, you didn't prepare it at all. Or, um, so, uh, <laughs> so, no, so you used the blue one and you used the green one. Yeah. Right, 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 exactly, 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 yeah, yeah, no, but, but I, you know, so I really appreciate uh, your, your intention of saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring out as much color as I can in this, in, in, in this, in this, in this, in this instrument, so. Any questions or thoughts or yabots? Yeah you know what yabots yeah are? Yeah. Mm. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. No, yabot yeah is a is a question that starts with yeah, but. That's not what I heard. That's not what I felt. Because those are actually, you know, I want to make sure. Yeah. Please. Sorry. Go ahead and play for us a one thirty seconds with staccato. <laughs> well, that, that depends on the time. Which, which one? If the tempo is 120 beats to the right, yeah, even this first one here, yeah. Uh, Thirty-second note flies by. What part do you want? Even this, like. This is really Yabba question. So for that, I probably wouldn't be counting 130 second notes. I'd just be thinking like, essentially, it's like you're you're tying the knot. Yeah. So one, two, and three, and four, and off. So the, in the 30 second of that, one and two is. Yeah. 
there's right there's now do the same thing at, at, at eighth note equals 20.
You know, have you ever thought about like just a pocket of change on the on the box? Yeah. <laughs> right. like reaching your pocket with a bunch of nickels and dimes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Next piece. <laughs> <laughs> Flower <laughs> box. <laughs> so why lips? Yeah. Well, it actually needs to be together flower lips. You mm -hmm. know. In a way that I wanted to uh, create this nice touch in you know our lips, you know, mm -hmm. so that kind of touching our lips to our ground or kind of pond, you know, yeah. it's kind of poetic way to introduce humanity to nature as well. So I that was more poetic. I was thinking Frank Zappa. <laughs> 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 I heard some Frank Zappa. <laughs> <laughs> And there might not be a color system. I'm interested. Do you use some sort of systems to sort of row in this, or is it, is it, are there random notes? Um, Very good question. Yeah. Uh, I am sort of a gestural in, okay. you know, and tem tem temporally interested mm -hmm. in composer, mm -hmm. but I also think about harmony and um, the pitch material assists that motion. Okay. So I try to find a certain system, but not really reverse it. No, it's good. Yeah, yeah I love so that. I want to assist those things mm -hmm. to support the direction okay. of work. Good answer, yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, continue the conversation over some water or soda or wine. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. After the event, I got a chance to talk to Kyung Mi Choi and ask her more about her piece and her work. Okay, cool. So, I was wondering, um, what made you choose to use the vibraphone of all uh, instruments? Uh, it's a very specific sound. Was it just because you had it in there to kind of work with? Um, yes, uh, actually because I had a residency that there was a vibraphone accessible. Mm -hmm. And then the uh, piece that I had in my mind uh, went really well with the vibraphone timbre, so I used that. Right, that's very cool. It's <laughs> kind of a very mysterious sound, you know. <laughs> yes. Makes me think of, uh, have you heard of uh, Moon Glow by the, uh, the Benny Goodman Quartet? No, actually not. It's uh, my no. favorite jazz recording oh, okay. because every time the chord settles in, I can oh, okay. the vibraphone. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, so you, this uh, imagery, did that? Uh, did it just come to you or did you see that happen in some way? Well, uh, because it was the residency where the uh, a lot of trees and then you know, nature around, so it was actually very... Um, Okay. Easy to think about nature in general, mm -hmm. and then uh, because the vibraphone is uh, very subtle, and you can make a very um, the natural uh, beauty in it within that subtlety. So that's why I chose a flower in that image. That's great. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, so you're you're a visual artist. Um, that makes me think of like uh, like Joni Mitchell or somebody, you know, yeah. where the kind of visuals influence the, the music. Do you find that when you paint, that kind of blends with when you compose? Uh, I wouldn't say directly, but I think uh, painting actually affected me in terms of process a lot because I, when I paint, I do more intuitively, and then I respond to the what's happening in my. Uh, 
canvas and then respond to what happened directly to it instead of thinking about all the things you know so what happened during the composition process even though I have a bigger picture I tend to respond to sound more than um, the, my structure or the plan so because that's to me more direct and more uh, honest way to I observe my piece. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so how closely did you work with uh, John for this piece? Uh, well, um, he was actually uh, working uh, other piece of mine, mm -hmm. and so I recognize his excellency. <laughs> and then he actually talked about he is interested in playing this piece. So I said, "Oh, great! That's wonderful." But I kind of knew this is not an easy piece, so to speak. So I just hope that he didn't give up, you know, after he kind of looked through, you know. But then, of course, he didn't give up, so, and, and then he, we, he and I will actually get together to talk about other elements, too. Very cool. And when he was playing the piece, I noticed um, I looked over and you had your eyes closed. Yeah. And I was wondering, um, you know, what, what is that like when, are you, is it meditative to kind of hear your own piece, or is it? Oh, well, I, when I uh, looked at uh, the visual performance, because I actually saw what he was doing during the rehearsal, so the actual performance I wanted to just uh, soak in the sound world alone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I tend to like that. You know. Close eyes. Yeah. Do you see that image of the the flower when you? Um, uh, not necessarily, but I can uh, ima imagine the motion and then the the, uh, the flow of the gestures. You know, and I just wanted to uh, sonify that through the uh, sound. But closing eyes is actually the best way to do that. <laughs> so. They talked a little bit about how you're also an electroacoustic uh, composer. Yes. How did you kind of get into that? How did that sort of... Well, um, I liked uh, working on uh, computer in general, but uh, I went to school at University of Urbana Champagne, which was very big in uh, computer music, so I was just naturally thrown into learning. That is so cool. Yeah. Do you find that when you write about nature, you need to use acoustic instruments, or...? No, not necessarily. I can use any medium. <laughs> I can use any medium for any subject. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally, um, are you familiar with the song uh, Kiss from a Rose? Uh, I heard about it. I'm not familiar with that song. I, I heard uh, Flower Lips. Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I thought that was kind of synonymous. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's interesting that a lot of people draw their own uh, experience, which probably I wasn't aware of. But then, you know, your entire experience about your own piece is expanding. You know? Yeah. It probably it's probably amazing. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. That's Cool. Well, thank you so much for talking. Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Fulcrum Point podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this Discoveries event, you can attend the next installments on September 19th and November 28th. And look out for the interactive music project by technological and musical modern air Javier Alvarez, Revolución premiering on October 28th. As wonderful as these events are to listen to, it is really an experience to be in the room surrounded by music and other listeners who are passionate about creative works in Chicago. These are free events, and they really are a wonderful way to spend an evening. Be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fulcrumpoint 
and follow us on Twitter at Fulcrum Point. Special thanks to artistic director Stephen Burns, curator of discoveries Sean Opeblo, executive director Pamela Hanratty, and marketing director Chris Casey, as well as composers Seung Wan Oh and Kyung Mi Choi, and our performer, percussionist John Corkill. Thank you for joining us in our continuing journey to discover the sound of Chicago. Chicago.